Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Okay. Well, I uh, appreciate all you people that came out tonight to study the Torah. So we'll just, let me open in prayer and then we'll get into it, okay? Father God, thank you for, uh, just thank you for loving us. Thank you for being here whenever we look at your word. I'd ask that you'd guide our conversation tonight, that we might uh, um, interact with each other in a way that deepens our understanding of you and helps us to be more obedient, to desire to be more obedient. I thank you for the nice weather we've had, and I just thank you for this great group of family. In Yeshua's name, amen. So, as you know, we're going through the book of Deuteronomy. We're um, heading toward the end here. I think we're about halfway through, or maybe a little more. And... I'd, I'd always told you Deuteronomy is a great book because it's, uh, it's, it means the second law. It's the second telling. It's basically Moses' monologue and his swan song all at once at the, the end of the book of Deuteronomy, not to, you know, like you say, spoiler alert, uh, Moses dies. But that's no secret even to, even to Moses at this point, you know, because God told him this is what's going to happen. But anyway, so he's trying to exhort the Israelites into doing what God wants them to do, which is basically be obedient to the Torah. Live up to the contract, the covenant that they signed at Mount Sinai, and do the things that they promised they would do. And so he's, it, it, I've noticed as this time through it, it is a little bit repetitive, but the thing is that he... He's repeating the stuff that's important. And one of the things this is reinforced for me is that the nice thing, if you ask me about the Bible, is everybody can find places where it seems to contradict itself or where there's weird little things that you can go off and build strange theologies about. But the really important stuff is in there not once or twice or even three times, but it's over and over and over again. And Deuteronomy is no exception. It's real clear what God wants and what he doesn't want. So, for example, one of the things we've learned so far in the book of Deuteronomy is how does he feel about uh, worshiping other gods at the same time you're worshiping him? He's not very happy with that, and he says it umpteen jillion times. You know, well, that's a little exaggeration, but he's all the time saying that this, don't do this. And be careful of the people that are in the land that you're now going into because they're going to entice you into doing this, you know. So, yeah, and toward the end, yeah, he's going to tell them exactly what's going to happen if you do this, if you do this, with if, kind of in quotes. It's funny because he goes through this several-page thing where he says if, if, and then finally it says when. <laughs> so, anyway, we finished chapter 13. Um, Last week, chapter 13, I have, you know, sub, sub section titles and 
the, all of chapter 13 is called worshiping other gods. And so it's just full. The whole chapter is about don't worship other gods. And it says if you catch people in your, um, in society, if you will, doing this, you gotta, you gotta get rid of them. They have to be, they have to be put to death. It's pretty harsh. But he says, yeah, yeah, even if it's a relative. Um, It says in verse 11, for example, this is after you stone him to death because he tried to turn away from Yahweh your God, turn you away from Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt. In verse 11 it says, then all Israel will hear and be afraid and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. So that's his whole point is that if people, if society worked in such a way that people that did this knew that their likelihood of being uh, executed was real high, they wouldn't do it. That's his point, right? So, they'll never do such an evil thing. Anyway, moving on to verse, or chapter 14. Does anybody have any editorial comments? You <clears throat> No? Okay. Chapter 14, I purposely didn't start last week because it's about clean and unclean food. We've been there. We know where that, where does, where would you go to read about clean and unclean food? Leviticus, does anybody have a, could you guess a chapter? 23, Leviticus 23. Some of these are just kind of nice to know uh, because sooner or later, I should say that, many of you will probably get into conversations with people about it. And it's nice to be able to go and actually say, here it is. You know, um, I find that especially true about the feast days. Where, where would you go to find out about the feast days? Okay. I don't know. I just... Leaven is the unclean food. Sorry about that. Twenty. That's okay. Twenty-three is the holidays. I was just blabbering along and didn't even pay any attention. Fair. Yep. The unclean food is a misnomer. It's unclean. Period. And so, therefore, it's not food. It's like a, what do you the oxymoron? Unclean food is like I don't know. I don't want to get there. Anyway, chapter 14, let's talk about this. Um, the first 20 verses, does someone, would someone like to read the first 20 verses? Paul's raising his hand over here. Yay! <clears throat> you are the children of Yehovah your Elohim. Do not cut yourself, nor shave the front of your heads, your head for the dead, for you are a set-apart people to Yehovah, your Elohim. And Yehovah has chosen you to be a people for himself, a treasured possession above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Do not eat whatever is abominable. These are the living creatures which you do eat, ox, sheep, and goat, deer, and gazelle, and roebuck, and wild goat, and mountain goat, and antelope, and mountain sheep. And every beast that has a split hoof divided in two, chewing the cud among the beasts, you do eat. But of those chewing the cud or having a split hoof completely divided, you do not eat, such as these, the camel and the hare and the rabbit, for they chew the cud, but they do not have a split hoof. They are unclean for you. And the pig is unclean for you because it has a split hoof but does not chew the cud. 
You do not eat their flesh or touch their dead carcasses. These you do not eat of all, of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales you do eat. I'm sorry, it says these you do eat of all that are in the waters. All that have fins and scales you do eat. And whatever does not have fins and scales you do not eat. It is unclean for you. Any clean bird you do eat, but these you do not eat. The eagle and the vulture and the black vulture, the red kite and the falcon and the buzzard after their kinds, and every raven after its kind, and the ostrich and the night hawk and the seagull and the hawk after their kinds, the little owl, the great owl, and the white owl, and the pelican and the carrion vulture and the fisher owl, and the stork and the heron after its kind, and the hoopoe and the bat and every creeping insect that flies is unclean for you. They are not eaten any clean bird you do eat. Did you say to 21? No, 20 is fine. Because, um, well, I figure we'll talk about this, then we'll go on. Uh, first of all, there's that little two-verse section right at the front. It says, um, you are the children of Yahweh your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead. For you are a people holy to Yahweh your God. Out of all those people on the face of the earth, God chose you to be his treasured possession. So what's with this cutting yourself or shaving the front of your head? John? I just assume it's a pagan practice. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever read the, the part, I should have had the, the citation better, the part about the, when Elijah went up against the 400 prophets of Baal or whatever it was, and they had their dueling... Um, Sacrifices on the altar, and the what happened with the you know, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, "You guys can go first, you know." And so they were running around this. <laughs> the picture's great. You know, they got this altar beat, built, and they got this dead animal on it, and they're running around doing all their religious stuff and trying to get their god to light him on fire because that was the deal. You know, you had to, you had to, got your god had to light the the sacrifice on fire, and they were thrashing themselves and cutting themselves and do all kinds of stuff. And you remember? Do you remember some of that stuff? I mean, it's really funny. Elijah asked him, maybe, maybe their God was sick or maybe he's not going to the bathroom or something, you know. And <laughs> so I think it was, it, that's at least one indication that that was a, um, a pagan practice. What do you think about the shaving the front of your heads? I, I think um, in terms of mourning the dead or in memorial to a person where you're cutting yourself and you're mm-hmm. shaving your head, it, it might be in reference to that. Could be. Could be. Now, um, that's, that's an interesting point. Yeah, one of the things you remember that was real common, even um, for the Israelites, whenever someone would die, was they would uh, become unkempt. And they would rip their, their clothing and put ashes or dust on their head. But who wasn't allowed to even do that? Go ahead. Yeah, the priests. The priesthood, of, if you were a priest, you weren't allowed to even do that. The high priest couldn't even do it if his own mother or father died. He had to maintain the physical cleanness and wear the, the attire that he was supposed to wear. So, so I guess, yeah. I'm wondering if Yahweh is the one who decides when we, our time is up, mm-hmm. 
And people who mourn and do various things after a person's dead, if it isn't somewhat of a significant way of rebelling against what God chose to do and mm -hmm. taking their life, mm -hmm. or that they might, um, I think some of the Catholic religions or otherwise, uh, do penance or something mm -hmm. for people who have died as mm -hmm. if they can help get them from purgatory to... Yeah, yeah there's that. That's a whole different so thing. So I'm just thinking that maybe there's a connection some way or another here that people that do those shave the head and so forth are, are trying to do something to rectify yeah. well, that, the situation. Let's, let's talk about that for a minute because there's a, a, a... Just because you brought it up, you know, um, God certainly... Uh, recognizes the need for mourning the dead. You know, he, he, he seems to accept it a lot, like our, our well. He was with Abraham when he mourned Sarah's death, and he was, you know, he, he seemed, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it's a legitimate thing from his point of view. However, he also seems to be of the, I don't know, I'll just, this is some, some of the stories, there's a period for that, and then it's over, and then you move on. I think the one that most comes to mind is when, you know, uh, David's child by Bathsheba, the first one that was born out of wedlock and died as an infant, um, and, you know, David was praying for the baby not to die, and it died, and not, not very long afterwards, he was up and doing his thing, and someone questioned him about that, and, and he said, well... He says, you know, I, as long as there was a chance, I was praying. I was really hoping God was going to do this. But when he said no, it's, it's time to move on. So I guess my thought, and I'm just making this up, mind you, is that I think he understands that, you know, when a person dies, you're going to miss them. No. Yeah. Yeah, I, that, that's where I was going to go with that. I was going to say, I think he understands that you're going to miss them, but I think he says... Do that for a short period of time and, and move on. Because I understand your point, and that's a valid point, you know, but. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I was wondering, uh, what do they mean by the front of their head? Was that just like. Just the front portion or something? I have no idea. I wish I knew enough about it to be able to say that in some of the cultures back then, they would do that. They, I know in Elizabethan England, it was a, a kind of a, uh, yeah. it didn't have anything to do with the dead, but as a part of, uh, oh, fashion, women would shave the top part of their heads. That's weird. Yeah, that is weird. Well, some of the uh, pre, uh, priests in England, they would like, yeah. or the abbots, they had like Yeah, they made circle. the little, yeah. I, I don't know what that is. I mean, and like I say, I'm just, we're just winging this And then, and then you here. see these uh, guys uh, who, uh, it's strange to me, they actually crucify themselves. They flagellate they themselves. Flagellate yeah, themselves. Yeah, yeah. With, you know, yeah, I don't, uh, like I say, it's hard for me to believe that that's a, something God would have us do. So we should point out that all of this is just open discussion. Nobody really knows. I'd love to know the answer to that. But my assumption is, is that that was a practice by one or more of the pagan cultures back then. And if we read this back in, I don't know, 2000 B.C. or so, we'd probably understand what was going on. But, uh, yeah, not now. John. 
So the cutting of the flesh is not in and of itself unlawful. In fact, it's tied to the covenant. Well, certainly the bridge, there's a, yeah. There's, there's a cutting of the flesh. Mm-hmm. So what I'm getting at maybe is these other ways of cutting that aren't outside what's required by Torah, that's offensive to God. You're diminishing what I've told you to do specifically for this important thing, the covenant, yeah. and you're diminishing it. That's, that's fair. That's, a lot of the stuff that's done in these pagan cultures is copy, you know, a copycat kind of a thing. Yeah. That's you, you. You bring a good question, uh, or somebody did in terms of some translations say, uh, "Make any baldness on the forehead of your head." The other ones say, "Baldness between your eyes for the dead," which is the Orthodox Jewish Bible. The Complete Jewish Bible says, uh, "Above your forehead." This one, King James, says, "Between your eyes." So I'm, I'm wondering, did it have to do with shaving the eyebrows or just? It might, have, it might have. I have, like I said, I don't have any idea. And I don't know how we're going to find out. You know what I mean? It's not like something that we could, just as a, as a side note, one of the things that's interesting about what we're doing here is we're looking at this um, you know, backwards. And it literally is like two, well, 3,000, 3,500 years old. And as as we know about history, I mean, we're pretty clear on what happened 100 years ago, maybe even 1,000 years ago. We got pretty good records about a lot that went on in the Roman Empire. But as you start moving farther back than that, the lens becomes real cloudy, and there's a whole bunch of things we don't know. I'm convinced a lot of the stuff that I learned, you learned in school, uh, was just people's best guess. So, you know, I, I'm, I don't have any trouble thinking that there was some kind of a common practice that did this. But that, uh, like I say, the lens is so dirty, we can't, and none, none of the records have followed forward. So we couldn't, you know, we don't know. But it's amazing that even that, we're able to figure as much out of what God wanted as we do. I mean, you know, this, this thing is amazingly complete, even though it doesn't answer that question. However, I bet we can answer it whenever we get there. So let's move on. Um, that was just a little, I don't know why that was there exactly. Um, yeah, I wrote a note there about why that was there. Ah, I said, why, why might this be here? And I said, it might be a tie-in with the previous chapter because the previous chapter was talking about pagan practices. And so maybe this was just pagan practices and he was saying, you know, be careful of these pagan practices. But anyway, let's move on with uh, verse 3. Do not eat a detestable thing. And then he goes on and he talks about what you can eat. And he lists them here. Now, usually the rule is they have to have both a split hoof and ruminate. That is, chew the cut. So, uh, and he lists the, what does he got here? The, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roe deer, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Um, and he says that those both have a split hoof and chew the cut. And then he go on, goes on and talks about but any animal that has a split hoof divided in two, um, <clears throat> like the camel, the rabbit, the hare, uh, that don't chew the cud, that's not good enough. What's and an ibex? Hmm? What's the ibex? Ibex? Ibex is a, uh, it's a mountain goat. It's, uh, some of the shofars are ibex horns. 
I could guess why chewing the cud was important mm -hmm. because of the digestive mm -hmm. process, et cetera. But does anybody know why the cloven foot is, has any purpose or value? I, I don't know. I, th I think one of the things that I've kind of come to believe, again, when this was written, and, and up until just, I don't know, 100, 200 years ago, um, we didn't have the understanding of, uh, of nutrition and what we eat and parasites and all that kind of stuff that we have now. Now we know, you know, one of the, to my way of thinking, one of the big differences between eating pork and these other animals is that, you know, pigs, since they don't ruminate, they, um, their digestive system is, or the whole system is much more full of toxins. So their, their, their meat is not as, uh, as toxin free. And we know that. We know that, you know, trichinosis and stuff like that grow in pork. So there were, there are health reasons for not doing this. But um, we, they didn't know that. Well, that's, that's certainly what we get to with the birds. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, I was thinking, you know, you got ground squirrels and who knows what else that people eat. Or, you know. Okay, I bet it works now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, sorry about that. So I don't know. Uh, I don't think it was specifically for the health reasons that God prescribed this, because I think he meant it. Well, it might have been. It, um, certainly that was a big benefit, but it also meant, was meant to differentiate. You know, God wanted his people to be set apart. He wanted the other, the rest of the world to see these people and say they're different. Then we talked about the sea creatures. The clue there is, or the, the rule, it's got to have both fins and scales. Go ahead, Pat. Question. Um, maybe I'm jumping ahead. That's all right. What does it have to do with, as he mentioned, roadkill, it's okay to give to um, yep. strangers. We'll, we'll get and, there. I mean, okay. yeah, I, I can wait. Yeah, wait for just a second because I, then we'll talk about that. I mean, I don't have a good answer, but we'll talk about it. Um, so the sea creatures thing or the things that are in the water, there are certain things that are obviously not good. And a lot of them are these bottom dwellers, you know, the shrimps and the crabs and the lobsters and all that. But eels, eels wouldn't be on the list. Sharks wouldn't be on the list, right? So it's a, yeah, whales. It's a pretty a standard kind of a fish, you know, standard fish with, fins and scales, uh, which is plenty of fish. It's just not some of the ones that <laughs> have grown up in society that get eaten. And then he goes into the birds. 
in the birds, he says, you may eat any clean bird. And then to define clean, I wished he had said things or something like, you know, yeah, well, well, something that has a color or a, uh, birds that do specific things. But, but he, instead he lists a whole bunch of kinds of birds that are uh, not okay. A bunch of birds that are not okay. And you look at that list and the best, uh, also, first of all, the names that those had when this was written were Hebrew names. And there's always a little bit of a debate on some of them, whether they've been translated to uh, today's meaning of the animal uh, in exactly the proper way, but a lot of them have. But the main thing, I'm sure you've figured this out, the main thing in all that list is, is that those birds tend to be raptors, right? They tend to either go kill something and eat it, or they eat something, some animal that's already died. And then you go to the other end, and you find the ones that are legal, and they're chickens and that kind of stuff. Chickens, while, if you ever raise chickens, you realize they're not... Their, their dietary habits are nothing to write home about. But they're, they're happy enough to live on, you know, grain and grass and junk like that. But the truth of the matter is a chicken will eat almost anything. Uh, so will a goat, though, for that matter. So um, these rules, let's see, how can I put it? I don't, want to, I don't want to get the idea that, well, they're just guidelines, because God's specific. And, you know, we know, we know we're not really free to kind of bend and, and mash this stuff. But... The only thing I can say there is that the birds that um, tend to live off grain, seeds, grass, that kind of stuff, are, are usually the ones that are clean, whereas the ones that uh, vultures, and he mentioned all the owls and the falcons and the kites and the eagles, all of those are predators, scavengers. Yeah, scavengers. Bobby. That's a good point. They're meat eaters, predators. Yeah, but the problem with sea life, um, so uh, the problem with the, with the predator rule in sea life is almost every fish is somebody else's food. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've seen the picture of the little fish that's eaten by the bigger fish that's eaten by the bigger fish. <clears throat> yeah, but the, the cows and the ox and all those aren't. So, then. Uh, the truth of the matter is there's nothing wrong with predators per se, but I think that uh, let's go one step farther as long as I'm sticking my foot way out, you know, so it get chopped off. It could be argued that eating other flesh is not particularly healthy, you know, because I think you could certainly make the argument that before the flood, uh, man was a vegetarian. Um, I think you could make a pretty strong argument for that. So eating, and but God has certainly recognized that there there are some healthful benefits to eating meat, as long as it's clean meat. Uh, but I, I wonder sometimes whether or not uh, just, you know, back in the garden, I don't think animals ate one another. Paul? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That's true.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the shrimp have got it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what we're doing here, and this is something that always happens with this subject, as far as I'm concerned, is we end up trying to figure out why God did it. You know, and we, and we also do it with this 20th century mindset of what's healthy and what's not. And the truth of the matter is, they didn't have that, and they didn't have it for a long, long time in the history that we're talking about. So that's one thing. And the other thing is, is to a large degree, you know, God doesn't need to tell us. <laughs> so, yeah, John. So along with what Paul was saying, I, I read a study where they categorized all the fish that had the most mercury in them, mm-hmm. and the ones that were the most... And had the mo- highest density of mercury are all like all unclean fish, like swordfish and shark. And so it, it's exactly what you're saying. The the toxins, the the stuff that's not good for you, would sit in their body. Yeah. Here's the mic. If you look at our ecosystem and how things are made, there's going to be garbage dumps mm-hmm. and creatures that pretty much clean mm-hmm. whatever it's well, that's the ocean what shrimp or whatever. And lobsters do. Yeah, like you, you know, say, yeah. and but so they're created for a purpose. Did we have to know what that purpose is, you know, two thousand, five thousand years ago? No. no. Do we really have to know today? Uh, it's one of those things that everybody <laughs> wants to have a reason as to yeah. why. It kind of helps us, but we don't have to know. Don't have to know. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good way to look at it. So I'm interested in permaculture, and a lot of these guys raise pigs, which I would argue isn't necessarily. So one of the one of the things you want to do with permaculture is try to get your animals to work for you instead of going buying big heavy machinery and yeah. doing all that. Right, symbiotic relationship. Right. Yeah. So the, the you know the cows go through the pasture first, then the chickens, and yeah. you got a new field, you bring in the sheep because they like the the forage, the the forest stuff. Um, but the pigs, they have a special, they break up the land real well. And if you wanted to do that, you know, is this my point, my question or my point is, I don't think it's, it's unlawful to have pigs as someone who's being kosher or biblically clean. It's that you can't eat them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, or touch them in the day. That's bound to be the same thing. I mean, about, uh, cats and dogs. Right. There's cats a lot of things. Horse. Camel. All, all the stuff that we can't eat doesn't mean you can't have. Yeah. Although, in verse 8 it says, The pig is also unclean, and although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, touching their carcass might mean that you just... Does that imply a dead thing or not? Is that, I think, yeah, I think it's a dead thing as opposed to a unclean thing. I mean, it's not, it's not because it's a pig, it's because it's dead. You, you don't even touch it with a 10-foot pole. That's why they have 11-foot poles. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Like I say, it doesn't take long when you get into it at this level that we start kind of saying, well, but what about this? What about that? And, I think the bottom line is we pretty much know. Bobby, shoes, purses, handbags, yeah. Well, you can just get carried away with this, yeah. (laughs) The old pig skin, right? Yep, football, that's a good one. 
Anyway, moving right along, as we like to say, um, verse 19 talks about all flying insects that swarm are unclean to you, do not eat them, but any winged creature that is clean you may eat. Now, that's a little bit strange. If you go back to the Leviticus chapter, it talks about a bunch of them that aren't clean. And then it talks about grasshoppers and uh, things that jump, and it calls those clean. So, I'm, uh, since I don't particularly care for insects in any form, I never have particularly worried about that. Beg your pardon? I don't know what a hoopoe is. Let me see. I might have a note on that. Oh, it, <laughs> this is about as useful. It says it's a hyrax or a rock badger. And I don't know what a hyrax or a rock badger either one are. So, well, and the other thing that's funny is when it includes the bat in with the birds. Because we all know that a bat is nowhere near a bird, right? The bat's more like a rat than a bird. Uh, yep. But it is winged. That's the thing. And you can see why the people at this time would include them with the birds. They fly. They even kind of look like birds when they're doing their thing. I would assume your rock badger is some sort of badger. Mm -hmm. they're, the, they're the most intense scavenger there is in the woods. Okay. They, they eat everything. They'll eat everything. Everything. Okay. I mean, they'll come across bones that have been there for years, and they'll eat the bones. Okay. Okay. So, that again, I think that general rule... While you wouldn't want to make a big deal out of it, tends to apply. Uh, stay away from the animals whose food is primarily primarily consists of other animals. I think you're probably better off. That's my opinion. Okay, let's go on to verse 21. Someone want to read from? Well, that's only a couple chapters. I'll or a couple verses. I'll read that. Um, this will get back to you, Pat. Do not eat anything you find already dead. You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. But you are a holy people, holy to Yahweh your God. And then it's the big one, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So the first question is, <clears throat> so why is it okay to uh, give these to foreigners, or sell them to foreigners, even though you may not eat it? That's the, that's the first thing to ask, right? And then, well, we'll... They don't know any better. Well, and, and furthermore, you can make a case, if you want to, even today, you can make a case that properly raised pork is reasonably healthy, right? Um, but that's not what God... Uh, well, no, the only reason I'm saying that is because if, if the, uh, the non-Israelites came to them and said, you know, we, we really, really like pork. Um, and he said, well, I'm, you know, I, I, like you say, I have a pig over here that's breaking up the ground and eating some mud. I'll sell him to you. Uh, and he takes him off and eats him. Okay. The, what I'm going, where I'm headed with this is this is support for the standpoint that the purpose of the laws is not primarily health. It's primarily differentiation. It's set-apartness. It's the ability to separate us from them. You know, to celebrate the people that are God's people or to separate the people that are God's people from the people that aren't. So it doesn't mean that we hate them and we're secretly trying to poison them. So then, if he's not a respecter of persons, 
it's a sin for us to eat pork, but not a sin for them to eat pork. And wouldn't we be then helping them to sin, which makes us just as guilty? Well, um, I don't know that it's a sin. I think what it says is, is it's unclean. Now, um, I think, so we've talked about this before. Can the Torah be obeyed by other people to their benefit? And I think the answer is obviously yes. So if, if other people, if non, non-covenant observers were to decide to eat a kosher, I'll call it, even though that's a little misnomer, diet, a clean diet, they would benefit from it because they're doing what God told them to do. Uh, but I don't think when, when we do it deliberately, yeah, that's a sin. Um, we know better. We're not supposed to eat this. But I don't think we're causing someone else to sin. That's my opinion. Otherwise, why would it say this? This all, all this, this dietary stuff may be just another way to set us apart, and there may not be any bad health benefits other than our current polluted world we live in on some of these bottom feeders, but it may be just to set us apart. Yeah, that's why I say that certainly that's the way God framed it. You know, he didn't frame it. You'll be, you'll be healthy if you do this. He framed it in this is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. So if I was going to get rid of my pig, my pet pig, um, you know, and I'm selling it to a stranger. I says, I, I don't want this anymore. I can't eat it because I follow the Torah. What you do is up to you. I'm not here to tell you you can or can't follow the Torah. It's yeah. up, it's, you have to make that decision. Yeah. So I would always have a full, dis- if, you ha- if I gave full disclosure what yeah. I'm doing, yeah. that's what I'm doing. So some people are like, well, I don't care. Yeah. How many Christians say, I don't care? Yeah. Right? Yeah. The vast majority. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as respect for a person's, I think that deals with people in the gates. If there's an alien in the gates, there's not a different classification of people, you know, because, it, well, yeah, I mean, that's it. You, you, can't, you can't abuse someone because you're, because you're Israel. You're doing things that God tells you to do. That's because that's God tells you to do that. It's not a license to abuse somebody else in a way that you wouldn't do to, to your brother Judah, for example. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, that's kind of a tough issue. I don't know. Well, yeah. if I look at the Torah as the tree of life, blessing and mm-hmm. cursings, mm-hmm. not following the Torah, mm-hmm. there would be some negative, like, negative consequences. Absolutely. You're, you know, like scriptures say, teaching you how to benefit yourself. Yeah. How do you benefit yourself by following Torah? What those benefits are fully, I mean, here it wasn't saying anything about whether it's a pig or a goat or a lamb mm-hmm. or whatever. It said that uh, basically anything that died, let's see, what of itself, don't eat. Yeah. So it could have been something that you normally would eat, Yep. but it died of itself. Yeah, yep. don't eat it here, give it to uh, Yos- Yosef. Some people don't or, care about that. Yeah, yeah, they don't care about that. Yeah. And so, how long has it been dead? Oh, I don't know. Well, here, you can have it. You know, I mean, so. It's, yeah. yeah it's, uh, now, it's not easy to, or it's not hard to see the health implications of that one, right? Because once something's dead, it doesn't take long for some bad stuff to start setting in. And it's bound to just be generally more healthy, not to eat something that died on its own. 
might have died because it got some bacterial infection, right? So I don't have any trouble seeing the health benefits of that. But again, God just basically says, uh, don't. You know, if it dies on its own, don't eat it. Roadkill's off the menu. That's true. That's very true. Yep. Also, yep, that's what it says. If something yep. dies of itself, its heart stops beating, you're not going to go and slice its throat in order for it to bleed out, and then you're eating congealed blood. There you go. I like that. That's a good answer. You'd make a good Jewish lawyer. There's no provision for selling, I guess maybe not. At least not here there's not. Yeah. Selling a pig, selling pork. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so, but like I say, I'm, I'm sufficiently confused at this point not to really Well, the solution is don't be in a pig business, right? No. I know there is, I bet you, well, I bet you, I don't know this, but I bet you wouldn't find, maybe not, that'd be a good question. I wonder if anybody raises pigs in Israel today. Do you know that? So I heard a guy talk about that. Somebody told me, a, Jew, a Jewish person told me that it's illegal to grow pigs on the land of Israel. So they, they grow them on like crates or something like that. That sounds like what they do. That's what they used to do. They used to do that with Shemitah, which we'll talk about here too. You know, when it's illegal for you to have your, you know, you're supposed to have a, a sabbatical and not raise anything, they hire someone else to come in and farm the land while they're not doing it. Uh, if God can't see his way around that one. Rent-a-goy. Uh, Rent-a-goy, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> so we can talk about the, the cow's milk? Or the a pig, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. So that one, we can go all around the block on the, the implication is, the reason, how can I put it, it is commonly believed that the reason that they, that people that keep, Jewish people that keep a kosher household have separate dishes and do not eat cheeseburgers is because you can't have dairy and meat together. And it's usually uh, reckoned back to this verse. Uh, but I don't know that, number one, I don't know that that's for sure true. Uh, and number two, um, you mean the best I could ever come up with this is some kind of a pagan practice that, that God found essential. Yeah. Well, I think, it, I think it was pagan practice. The other thing, too, is you're mixing life and death. You're mixing the, the life of the, that was meant for the calf to live mm -hmm. with killing the calf, you know. Yes. And you're mixing those two. So I don't know if it's, you know, I, I think that was a, I'm assuming that's that cow's mother's milk. Yeah, 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 I think so. Not cheeseburgers. You have no idea where, yeah. you know, goat yeah. cheese. Well, and, I, I, yeah, I think the, the rules that came from that were a function of this idea of building a hedge around the Torah. That right. is, if, if we can't, if we are not allowed to cook a goat in its mother's milk, then we just, to make sure that never happens, we won't have anything dairy anywhere near anything that's cooked beef. Right. So meat. that's the difference between kosher, you just described kosher laws, yeah. as opposed to a cheeseburger is biblically clean. Yeah, well. I mean, that's the difference, yeah, right? I, I think so. Yeah, the cheeseburger would be biblically clean. Yes. 
I think it's significant that this is the only mention in the entire Bible, and everything that Yahweh does has one or two, two or three witnesses. So I think it's significant that it's only mentioned once. It's yep. not. It's not over and over again. Furthermore, it's not like uh, even of these over and over again things, a lot of times when they're important, God describes them in different ways. You know, he'll describe the same, the same thing two or three different ways, so you, you can't miss it. There, I think there is one other case of, of uh, that particular phrase, do not cook a goat in its mother's milk, but it's exactly that phrase. It's not anything else, it's just exactly that. And I, I think we ran across it once earlier, but, but even then, I agree with you. It's, it's too obscure... I mean, you know, we don't want to go off and, and uh, develop a whole theological theory based on that. Are we sure the Hebrew says goat? Don't know. Don't know. Well, John, you could figure that out, I bet. He wants to know if it's really goat, not just, it says, it, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Is it for sure goat? Verse, verse 21. Yeah, I mean, that really. If it says goat, that actually lends a little more credence to the idea that it's some pagan practice. Getty, whatever a Getty is. Sounds like goat. Not a Yeti, it's a Getty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love kicking this stuff around. It's fun. I always learn a little. You want to go on? Since we thoroughly understand all this now. Well, it says young goat in its mother's milk. So by definition, young could almost be left out of the sentence. Um, yeah. 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 That, that is kind of gross. I mean, the whole idea wouldn't appeal to me anyway. Um, and the, I think... There's a uh, process called veal meat. Yeah, yeah. That, veal is a calf. Yeah. That's uh, their exclusive cooking process is in its mother's milk, I believe. Well, yeah. no, it, it lives a long time on its mother's milk, but it's never cooked in it. Oh. It's, it's uh, veal, it, from my understanding, it's raised on a kind of a specific diet, a rich diet. Mother's milk's got a lot to do with it but it's, it's not cooked in it. It's uh, after a certain length of time, not very long, I guess, maybe less than a year probably, they slaughter it and eat it. I see. <laughs> Did you? Is that, am I wrong about that? No, I don't, I don't think that you're wrong. I Well, let's see. Let's move on. Verse 22 to the end of the chapter. Does somebody want to read 22 to the end of the chapter? Not very long. Okay, Virgie. 
you will surely set aside a tenth of all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. You are to eat the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock before Adonai our God. In the place he chooses to make his name dwell so that you may learn to fear Adonai your God always. Now suppose the way is too long for you, for you cannot carry the tithe because the place Adonai your God chooses to set his name is too far from you. When Adonai your God blesses you, then you are to exchange the tithe for silver, bind up the silver in your hand and go to the place that Adonai your God chooses. You may spend the money for whatever your soul desires, cattle, sheep, wine, strong drink, or whatever your soul asks of you. Then you will eat there before Adonai your God and rejoice, you and your, your household. But you are not to neglect the Levite within your gates, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. At the end of every three years, you are to bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and start within your gates. Then the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, along with the outsider, the orphan, and the widow within your gates will come and eat and be satisfied so that Adonai your God may bless, your, <clears throat> may bless you in all the work of your hand that you do. Thanks. There's some really good stuff in this little paragraph, if you ask me. Um, first of all, it certainly confirms the concept of the tithe, right? Because it says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your field's produce each year. Um, and then, what are you supposed to do with, this is, they call it your gain. You know, your, what you got this year, what you, and in today's, it'd be what you earned, right? What, uh, what do you do with what you earned at, at the, the end of a year? Give it to the poor and the Levites and the, is that what you're saying? No, no. You take a tenth of it, and what do you do with it? Yeah. Well, you go to Jerusalem, right? Because it says, go to the place where God puts his name. So, now, you know, they, this is after they're in the land, so they've got the land all divided, and they're all over everywhere. And um, it says, goes on to say that if, you know, if God's really blessed you, and you got so much grain and so many barrels of wine and oil and stuff that it'll take a, you know, convoy of semi-trucks to get a tenth of it there, then what can you do? Yeah, sell it, turn it into silver, and go to Jerusalem. And I don't think, I, I just, let me make this one more point. I can't find a more, um, let's see, free statement than this one. It says, exchange your tithe for silver, take the silver with you, and go to the place Yahweh your God will choose. 
Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of Yahweh your God and rejoice. I mean, it's, there's, no, there's nothing bad about this. This is basically, go have a party, right? Now, you take your tenth, you can convert it to silver, you can go to Jerusalem, and you can buy whatever you want. There's not much restriction. It's assuming that it's going to be used. Um, you're going to use it to celebrate your growth. You're going to be using it to celebrate Sukkot. That's when this occurs, right? And um, everything you, you do for this, uh, uh, you know, part of it is set aside for the Levites. We'll get to the Levites in a minute. That's a little bit of a separate issue. But I just, I just wanted to talk about this notion of, you know, God's not an ogre here. He's busy basically telling you, you guys, you know, you can, you can pretty much have free reign here for celebrating with me. Come, come to my house and celebrate with me. Yeah? John. So, it's interesting. I like, I, I've been studying on the characteristics of money. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> well, it's just, it, money, one of the things of it is, it's transportable. Yep. And that's exactly what they did. Yep. They, you know, it's, there's a cow on this end of the, of the transaction, and in the middle there's this thing called money, and out pops at the other end a cow. Yeah. So it's like magically moves from one place to another. Yep. yep. So that's, that's one thing. You know, one of the things that's interesting about that when you mention it, what form of money is it? Silver. Silver. Port- I mean, transportable yeah, property. What, up until 100 years ago, what did we use whenever we were traveling around and walk around? So it's lasted for 3,500 years. Must be something right with it. The other, the other thing is how much you got to party with <laughs> is dependent on how well, you know, how, what your yield was. Yeah. So if you didn't do well, then you're not going to have much to party with to, to, to take to Sukkot and have a good time. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's just a it's just a measuring stick of presumably how well you followed the Torah and you you did the things that you're supposed to do. That's yeah, kind of how I look at yep, it. Yep. I think that's. I was going to say there's kind of two components to how well you do. One component is how hard you worked and how obedient you were to the Torah. You know, if you were diligent, you did your job, you didn't slack off, and you you know, didn't hire Renegoy and you didn't, you know, cut corners here and there. You did everything in an honest and ethical fashion. Then by doing that, God would, he says, bless you. So there's two components in my mind. There's you doing a good job, but there's God blessing you. And the two, you know, are pretty well meshed together. But if he, if you do a good job and he blesses you and you end up with this big, huge growth for the year, then he says, fine, enjoy it. Yeah. It's also... It's a, re, it's a flat tax. There's no respecters of persons between yep. what rate you yep. get. Yep. It's a, it's I hadn't a, thought about that, but that's it's right. It's a tie. It's 10%. Yeah. There's not, you know, well, if you're really rich, then we get to charge you more, yeah. whatever. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I wonder where... We get the idea that if a person can't afford to go to Sukkot on their own, that we pay their way for them. Mm -hmm. Or that we 
my idea is cooking all together so everybody has an equal thing. Yep. It wasn't apparently in God's original thoughts. Yeah. Well, it, yes and no. Uh, I certainly, let's see, from one end of the story, I mean, you know, you know good and well how God would feel about the guy that was blessed pretty well, but then says, ah, man, that's too much trouble to go to Jerusalem. I think I'll just, I'll stay home this year. Uh, he's not going to buy into that. But on the other hand, if someone has fallen into hard times, has worked hard or you know, whatever, and it's a, a hardship, that comes into the next two verses that we're going to look at. So we have the responsibility. Uh, the last verse there, verse 27, says, And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Now, we're all familiar with why the Levites don't have an allotment or inheritance, right? Because they're the, they're, their allotment is God. That they have this special job. And they're spread throughout Israel. The, like we talked about last week, a majority of them lived in Jerusalem to manage the affairs of the temple, if you will. But they were all over, all over Israel. Um, and then it goes on in verse 28. It says, At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns. So every third year, you don't have to deal with taking your cartloads of oil and grain, the tenth, the tithe, to Jerusalem. You just leave it there in town. That's what it says, if I'm reading that right. It says, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, so that Yahweh your God may bless you in all the works of your hand. So, okay. <laughs> John. Uh, uh, what you just read, it seems, it seems uh, I didn't really put it all together, but as I, as I see this, the Levites get a fixed amount. It's sort of like, it's every three years, you, 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 where is the inside that gates? I'm assuming that's the, uh, the gates, the, the uh, Levitical cities. Is well, that, it, it may be because that's where the Levites city. are. Well, they may also. I don't know this. I'm not. I'm not arguing from a standpoint of having any real knowledge here. But my thought would be, you would have little, little towns that might have two or three uh, Levites in them. They might not be full-fledged rabbis or whatever you want to say. And their primary job would be to meet the, I'll call it the, the spiritual needs of the of the people. Um, I was going to go on to say, and is, is since I'm building all this theory on this verse, is that uh, they would be the ones that would receive this third year. Right. And, and they then are responsible, or they can use part of it for their own well-being, but then they are also responsible for giving it to the fatherless and the widows who live in the town. So in other words, they're responsible for taking, taking care of the poor within the community. Now, certainly that exists in the, in the cities of refuge. But I think it probably existed in more places than that. I, I'm just well, saying. Yeah, I, I don't know either. But this this every third year thing is mm -hmm. tied to the to the Levites. Yeah. So, in other words, every year when I go to uh, Jerusalem to do the Sukkot, I don't have to take ten percent of that to to give to the to the give to the Levites. I've done that with this every third year thing. That's my feeling. Okay. That, that's what I read. I read that, uh, yeah, and then the, I mean, I, I think of it like you've got the, 
you guys will have to excuse me for this. You got the, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the muckety-muck of Westminster Cathedral in, in England or whatever. Who's the head of the uh, British church or the Anglican church? I don't know what they call him. Parliament? No, no. No, no. Well, I, that's not what I'm trying to get at. But you also have these little bitty vicars that sitting out in these little bitty villages in, in all over England, you know. And those guys are, are typically kind of poor and, you know, don't live all that well. But they have a responsibility. You know, they, they represent God to the people, and they represent the people to God. And they're supposed to know about their community and what goes on in their community. And you got to support them. That's what it basically says uh, in that verse 27. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. So that, that's what I think it's saying. I think it's saying every third year you leave your tenth local. It's saying... Every other, uh, for two years in a row, you can send it to Washington. But on the third year, you leave it in Mesa. <laughs> it's almost like it's a, it's a, a governmental tax. Yeah. It's before they um, implemented the rule of tax, probably. Yeah. And you want to take care of your, <clears throat> excuse me, you want to take care of your own. Mm-hmm. You want to take care of the poor. You want to take care of the yep. needy. You want to take care of your cities. You know. yep. That's the thing I was going to point out, is it says that we have a responsibility, everybody has a responsibility to take care of the poor and the widows and the orphans in their community. Right. And the people, in my opinion, I'm probably making this up, but the people that administer that are the Levites. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the real failing of what's happened in our society. That's called the New Deal. Yeah. If you want the New Deal, the old deal goes away. Yep. So, we got, we'll, so I just want to say, mm-hmm. the way you do not neglect them is you pay this third tax or third year thing, whatever it is. Yeah. That's how you not. It's not like oh, those poor Levites on there. Let's give them a little some, yeah. some well, little and money. You, you don't no. take it all to Jerusalem so that they can meal, uh, thumb around with it and take their share and then put it back out, send it back to them in a check once a month. <laughs> you don't do that, is that what you're saying? No, that's what I'm saying. That's not what you do. You, right. you leave it there and you administer it locally. I'm, right. It's states' rights, if you will. Um, I've got a couple. Let's see. There you go. That's right. Like you mentioned earlier, there's so many places where this is repeated in terms of the alien within your gates, the widow and the yep. fatherless. Yep. Uh, whether it's in the Hebrew or the Greek, or we, we call it New Testament anyway. Uh, uh, Numbers 18:24 talks about the Levite and so on. So it gives a reflection of God's heart, but at the end of it, it says, so that Jehovah, your Elohim, does bless you in all the work of your hand, which you would do. Yep. So there's a blessing on yep. that also. Here, 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 here. I mean, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not smart enough to do it for that reason, then you ought to be smart enough to do it because He tells you to. Maybe I said that wrong, but you get the idea. You're going to be blessed for doing it. We got. Oh, uh, go ahead. I was wondering, how does this apply to our modern day and age? Where, uh, I mean, a lot of usually the only way—well, not the only, but one of the main ways to give is monetarily, mm-hmm. obviously. But, mm-hmm. um. Well, how does this relate to how we live today? You well, say? that's a, that was I, I really jumped on John's comment. That's the New Deal. You know, when the government started taking the role of taking care of those members of society that couldn't provide for themselves, they took away what the church should have been doing, 
And my argument has always been if the church, and I'll call it the church in quotes, if it were doing what it should have been doing, there would have been no need for any of that. And everything would be working better today. Because, uh, you know, I think that can all be administered in a distributed fashion more equitably and dealing with people uh, on an individual basis than a bunch of darned old bureaucrats in Washington. That's my humble opinion. Um, but that's one way that it would be different. I think, in general, these people didn't expect a lot from their government, right? The, they, they expected it from their neighbors. And they didn't necessarily expect it, but they got it from their neighbors. And one of the things that I've found, I've mentioned this before as we've gone through this all the way, it's real clear to me that God says that you, we all, have a responsibility for those in our community that are less fortunate, that are not as well off, that have fallen on hard times, widows and orphans, whatever. We, we have that responsibility. And to ignore it, or worse yet, to say, oh well, I'll elect some government bureaucrat to take care of it, is the wrong answer. That's my opinion. Yeah. Wait. Okay, that's all right. Um, I know there's certain groups that say there's really three three tithes. Mm -hmm. Tithe to, to Yahweh, the tithe for your feast, and then the third tithe for the poor and uh, widows, orphans. Yep. Um, so I guess it's up to a 30% tax, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it seems it seems here, like this tithe here, they're talking about partaking of the one-tenth when you go to the feast, partaking of it yourself with, with Yahweh, instead of it being the offering that you're taking of your of your increase. Well, that's, that's I understand your point, yeah. but now typically whenever they would do these celebrations, right, there was an offering made before God, and there was a specific amount that went to the priests, right? And depending on what the offering was, the giver was uh, expected to or able to invite friends, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what a fellowship offering was about. And so the idea was that the Levites and God and the guy, the offerer and his friends were all celebrating. You know, they were enjoying God's blessing. Now, the tithe, I don't think that was a whole tithe. I mean, that, that wasn't a whole year. You didn't work a whole year and bring a tenth of that and blow it on that. I think, you know, typically what they ended up doing is they did that, but then all the excess from their tithe, they gave to the Levites to do what the Levites had to deal with. That's my opinion. Now, maybe I'm wrong. How does this take into account? Because this tithe, this is not under the king, which Israel later had, but also had a financial requirement upon mm -hmm. the land. This is somewhat different. Mm -hmm. This is before they were kings. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so how does that play into it? Because I know we were making a comparison in modern times. Well, blah, 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 you know, how is this and this? Well, it's not really a straight one-to-one -one comparison. Well, under the king, yeah. there was an additional tax. Mm-hmm. We're going, to, we're going to get into this in great detail as we move on here. Uh, and I'm not trying to put you off, but there is, over in chapter 17, there's a whole section about that. And what you, I'll invite you to go do this. Um, if you look at the, 
uh, book of Judges and uh, 1 Samuel and read about what happened in Israel after they got over there, uh, I think you can make a very strong case for the fact that God never intended for Israel to have a king. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think he probably intended for the government to be judges. You know, that was the government. Yep, that was the legal system, and that's the way it worked. So the kings are mankind's construction. And God, being God, said, well, um, I mean, you know, I love that, that passage. It's in uh, 1 Samuel, I think, where, you know, Samuel's up. <laughs> well, anyway, you know the passage. And, and basically, I paraphrase God saying, okay, okay, the people want a king. They're not going to like it. You know, tell them that they're, they're going to have all these, you know, the, first of all, they're going to have to give all their money to him. They're going to give their sons to him to fight battles. They're going to give their daughters to him. And they're going to give their land to him. They're going to give all this stuff to him. He's going to be a real jerk. Um, but if they want, okay. then I really think that's, that's what he did. So I think it's very hard for us to imagine what it might have been like because we don't have an example. The book of Judges is so old that you, you read some of that and it's hard because you can't, it's hard to imagine, you know. Uh, but I really think that's probably the form of government he had in mind. Can I, can I just um, say I wanted to attempt to answer his question sure. regarding how, um, how this um, appropriates to us today. So I feel like, uh, you know, we can look at the book of Acts and see, you know, there was definitely communal living where they pulled their resources, they pulled everything together and took care of each other. And, um, and we also see that, I think, in the Mormon church. I think that they are probably the strongest servants mm -hmm. in our nation when it comes to um, community, serving the community. And, um, and, and I've been, I've been um, one that's received that blessing many times over. So I feel like, you know, we're kind of weak in that area. Mm -hmm. you, you know, we might have some knowledge, but we're, we're kind of weak in the... Yes. In the Head acts. knowledge and not action knowledge. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not because we know we're saved by grace and not mm -hmm. through works. But yep. still, we we you know faith without works is also dead. Yep. So I feel like well, you need to resort back to the Book of Acts and um, and have communal live communal living even in if in our own um, community like our subdivision. You know, like I'm on Leighton Lakes, where I live. I'm oh, sorry, I said that out loud. I'm, where I live, um, I'm on Facebook, and we have a community on Facebook. And so whenever somebody has a need, people are there. And so we take care of each other in our community. So I think that's kind of what it looks like. But I think we as the church are the ones that should be um, spearheading that. I agree. I agree. I think, you know, we can all see kind of where we drop the ball. And it wasn't just once, it was many times. Uh, and you know, all the energy we've spent fighting with each other because we're the wrong denominations, all that kind of stuff, it's no wonder we didn't do the stuff we should have done. So it's First Samuel chapter 8, and it wasn't they said we wanted a king, they said we wanted a king like the nations, not like you, Yes. God. <laughs> fair point, fair point, yep. We, don't Second, want, we want a king we can see and can mistreat us. Right. <laughs> we, we're not getting enough abuse here, so we need, you know. Also, the, 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 the maxim that the government that governs best governs close to the people. Yep. So the New Deal was 
Let us smart people in Washington, D.C. do all this. Give us all your money. We're real smart. We know how to spend your money better than you do. Yep. So that's that was one that's of the, not, that, that doesn't was, work well. That was one of the good things that the nation's founders had was that the idea that the states were really, really where most things happen, not the federal government. Yeah, I, th I think back, you know, when our country was being founded, we were more of an agrarian society, yep. much like Israel, and the people did live in communities. Now, you know, we're all kind of separate. But I wanted to mention your point. I, I agree with you that in the, God actually told Samuel, he said, they're not rejecting you, they're, they're rejecting, rejecting me. me, so give the people what they want. And also with uh, the judges, I mean, we're talking about a period of about 400 years. Yeah. And for the most part, although there's a lot of stuff that happens, the majority of that time was spent, you know, the people living in peace. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until they strayed mm -hmm. and God raised up a judge, mm -hmm. you know, to bring them back. Yeah. But you can read in there, you know, it says places where, you know, then they had peace for like 80 years. Yeah. And they had peace for 40 years. So yeah. most of that time... You know, yeah. and if, I, I think it, that you're right, that that's how God wanted it to, to be. Yep, I think so. I think he wants, I mean, and that gets back to John's thing about everybody being sovereign. You know, we're, we're sovereign, but that goes with a responsibility. We have a responsibility for the people around us. Well, back whenever this was put on paper or papyrus or whatever it was put on, <laughs> you got to remember they were getting ready to go into the promised land. Yep. Okay. They were divided up into clans, mm -hmm. okay? So whenever they got their land, it was like a big family unit. Yep. And, and they, God wanted they to did, maintain that. Right, right. And in addition to that, people didn't uh, travel like they do now. And mm -hmm. so it was predominantly a family unit, you know, a big family unit. And they lived and together. So they, and they yeah. took care of each other. Yep. And there was there was no, like you said, there was really there was no central government. Yep. It, it was just the legal system, the judges. Yep. And it was a completely different situation back then than it is now. Yeah. What you know? What one of the things that's kind of missing was a police force. Mm -hmm. Right. They didn't have a police force. There's nothing written in here about you know the police will arrest you or any of that nonsense. That's yeah. But. You don't have police, really, unless you're in the city. I think the big thing was, we, for good or bad, we moved to the cities. And now your neighbor doesn't really mean anything. Cause, well, as a matter of fact, if anything, you try to avoid them. Right. <laughs> like, I've got, you know, in Stone's Throw, there's probably 15 people that live by me. I bet I don't, I know, I don't know the name of any of them. And every place I've lived, that's pretty much the way it is. Now, that's part of my own fault because I'm kind of that way. But you wouldn't do that in an agrarian no, society. No, that's true. If you all went to church together or congregated together, mm -hmm. and, and also your neighbors, you know, you, you know everybody there. You know, that's interesting So it's easier that. to govern that way. Yeah. Whenever, you know, we lived in New Zealand for a couple of years. And uh, New Zealand is like this country used to be 50 years ago. And the population density, except in the cities, is pretty low. And what you find is the people are very friendly. You know, they, they, they come over, they get to know you, they offer to help you. You know, if you're out in your yard doing something, they want to come over and help you. And the reason they do that, I decided, is because people live far enough away from each other 
and they know that someday they might need some help. So they'll do that with the idea that, well, that's just what we do here. Get it? <laughs> yeah. So we, you use the term police force, which... It rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, because okay. they did have a law, yes. the Torah, yes. and the neighbors, anyone in the congregation, anyone in the camp, if they saw anyone violating that law, there was what we call due process that came up yes. that would take place. So each one was to be their kind own, of their yep. own police no, I, I'll agree force, with that. But I, not a separate government-ran yes. police force. That's fine. You make a very good yeah. point. So, yeah, yeah it's one of those things. But most of us don't think that You can't compare apples and apples when it's not apples and apples. Okay, fair point. I accept that. Just one more point. Sure. So it makes a big difference where <clears throat> you have a neighbor like I was just, your, your neighborhood was like I described before. Where everybody's together. Everybody knows together. It, to be part of that community, you know, you agree to be, follow the rules of that community. Well, now love your neighbor like yourself takes a whole different meaning because it isn't just some random person that moved in last week. It's somebody that's an integral part and well-known citizen of that community. Yeah. So it's it's a lot easier to 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 deal to to deal and to resolve issues between those between neighbors. Seems to me. Yeah, I tell you, you know, you mentioned the best government is that which is I, I don't remember the words used, but most distributed. The government that governs the best is, governs closest to the people. Closest to the people. Yeah, I guess the thought I was going to get there is, you want to solve all problems at the lowest possible level. Yeah, that's the, that's the lesson from Jethro, right? Yeah. Delegate. We talked about this at the bet, uh, defining a bet dean. Yeah. We want to be the last place to deal with these issues. If you make it to the bet dean with an issue, mm -hmm. you failed two other times. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, resolve it, resolve it local. Mm -hmm. But that, that involves people being willing to really be involved with, other, with their neighbors. Right, really and you involved. have to have high-quality neighbors, and that includes you. You're yep. one of the neighbors. <laughs> yep, yep. Paul, just a second. You also know your neighbors have agreed to the same covenant yeah, that you agreed to. Yeah, that's important. For example, if you move into a neighborhood that has bylaws and covenants, and you agree to purchase a home there in that, you know what the covenant is, and you yep. know that your neighbors abide by the same yep. thing, which we don't necessarily live in that society today to a greater extent. No, I agree. I agree. But I, I kind of think it would be better if we did. Yeah. We need to create it our own and call it a Torah-gated community. Yeah. That's what we'd like to do, right? It's at least one of the things, if, if we all knew that we were all living by the same book, the same law, the same covenant, then we could talk about it with each other as opposed to being concerned that they might you know, be offended by our radical religious beliefs. All right. Well, I tell you, I've done it again because we're not quite, not quite out of time, but I'm reluctant to start. I'll tell you what I'll do. I know what I've done in this times before. We're at chapter 15, and I'll, I'll read a little, but we'll come back and discuss it next week, okay? Okay. We got 11 minutes, not five. Okay. Well, maybe we can do it then. 
I want to read chapter 15 to the first 11 verses, okay? Said um, chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel the loan that he has made to his fellow Israelite. He shall not require payment from his fellow Israelite or brother because Yahweh's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt that your brother owes you. However, there should be no poor among you, for in the land that Yahweh is giving you to possess as an inheritance, He will richly bless you, if only you fully obey Yahweh your God, and are careful to follow all these commands that I'm giving you today. For Yahweh your God will bless you as He has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but borrow from none. And you will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If there is a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns that Yahweh uh, of the land that Yahweh your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. He may then appeal to Yahweh against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to him, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. There. <laughs> John. Well, Yeshua said the last verse, didn't he? There's Command, always there's always people. There'll be poor, poor among you always. This. Yeah. Could you reread four? Mm-hmm. However, there should be no poor among you. So mine says, and it's kind of weird. Save when there shall be no poor among you. That's the King James. Yeah, that's the good old King Jimmy. I never did understand him. Well, I like what. Yeah. So, so what? I, what I the the thing is is that one. Coupled with the one that we just read, 11. I mean, that one starts off, verse 4 says, However, there should be no poor among you. And verse 11 says, There will be always be poor people in the land. There's two things I can see there. First of all, verse 4 says, There should be. I mean, it goes on to say, Because the land that you're going to is going to be, uh, you know, you'll be richly blessed. And if you just be obedient, there won't be any poor people there. Right. That, that's what I get that saying. So he's... Moses is asking the question in verse 4. Okay, there, here's the rules for Shemitah. Yeah. But why are we using those if there's, why is there poor people to loan people, loan money to, to begin with? Yeah. Is that, that how you read it? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't, it doesn't, I like your verse better. It doesn't come across that way yeah, in the yeah. King James. I, otherwise, I have trouble with it contradicting verse 11. Because, you know, if you, if you don't read it that way, verse 4 says there won't be any poor people. And verse 11 says there's going to be poor with you always. And so you can't have it both ways. Well... So, the the poor people that are with you, you don't loan them money. You resolve the issue and make them unpoor. There you go. I mean, that's the the solution to verse eleven. Isn't oh, I can make a loan, right? It's help them fix their poor problem. Yeah, <laughs> help them make them poor folks no more. Yeah. yeah, But this is an interesting thing because it sure is very different than the way we operate. Uh, this this um, it leads directly into the verse twelve, which is talking about freeing servants. But let's talk about it for a few minutes just on its own. 
So when is this done? When is this canceling of debts? Shemitah is what that's called. That's one of those things that's talked about in Leviticus. It's every seven years. And after seven Shemitahs, you have, that's seven times seven is 49, you have a jubilee. Yes, the Ovel. I don't know how to ask this. Is it, let's say we're in year one and I borrow money from you. Mm-hmm. Seven years later, if I haven't paid it all back, whatever's left is forgiven. Mm-hmm. But what happens if someone comes along, because we just started this in year one, and now we're in year three, mm-hmm. and someone else borrows money from you. Mm-hmm. And what happens if someone borrows money from you in year six? I mean, is it a, is it a seven years from the time I, you loan the money, or is it a complete seven-year window? Mm-hmm. It's, it, yeah, well, it's, it's not... Everybody has their own seven years. Right. It it is Shemitah occurs at the same time for the whole the whole country, but everybody knows when it's coming, and so um, if you if you give a loan to your brother, by the way, it's very clear these are brothers. These are people. This are like family. We got to start thinking about this like family. You know. So this is your your wayward cousin that seems to be a real idiot, but he's fallen on hard times. So you loan him the money, and he says, look, I promise to have this paid you back by seven years. You know, I've got this all worked out. If I pay you this much every month, I'll have it paid back in seven years. You say, okay, fine. In your head, you think to yourself, well, I hope. (laughs) But if he doesn't, he doesn't. And then in the the succeeding years, you know, if uh, the same same guy were to come up and say, you know, I'm in bad shape, I need some money. Uh, you might, I think, you might be able to say, well, you know, it's just a couple of years to Shemitah. Um, I don't know if I can give you all that much money. Maybe I can give you a little less, or maybe I can help you in some other way. Or maybe, you know, so I, I it definitely says, though, don't be hard-hearted. You know, don't, don't, it calls that evil. What does it say here? Um, verse 9, be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near so that you do not show ill will towards your needy brother and give him nothing. So, but I guess my point is, is, you're adults, and both of you know when the Shemitah's coming. So it's a lot different to loan some relative money at the first year than it is at the sixth year. That's all. And you both know it. <laughs> yeah. So when it's talking about it here, it doesn't really specifically tie it to the land. So I think, as I recall reading about the Shemitah, it was... You're, you're giving up use of your land for a period of time to get the money. Uh, you mean using the land as collateral? You're inherited, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, if you do that, if you, if you uh, well, there's lend cases. out the land early on in the process, then you could lend a lot more money because you're going to have the person giving the land assuming I'm, I'm accurate on the other places where this talks about Shemitah, you have more control of the land at more time. So mm-hmm. you can lend out a bigger amount. Yeah. Well, that's As true. As opposed to like a one year, well, you're going to get your money. I'm going to have to do the, the Shemitah thing. You're going to get your land back, so I'm only going to give you mm-hmm. well, a small amount. I think I, you're exactly right, but I think that's maybe just a special case. That And what you're saying, it says that back in the Leviticus where we read that, because it says you're not really leasing the land, you're leasing a number of crops. 
And so you prorate it by, it's, it's talking about Jubilee, by the way, when it does that. Okay, you're yeah, right. Yeah, but the, I guess you, you're still right. But not all cases of loaning your brother money would involve hawking the land, is what I'm trying to say. Maybe, maybe you know, some, some brother comes up and says, look, you know I don't have any land. You know I'm the, the fourth son here and I got squat, you know. Um, but why doesn't I, he have any land? That would be my question. That's a very good question. That's a very good question. And most people are going to be doing agrarian stuff anyway. That's their value is what, what they get out of the land and what they get from well, the animals. Obviously, since you're going to be loaning him some money, you can ask a lot of very serious questions. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and he might have land. Yeah, he might. And he might be in debt because of the land. Yeah. But I, I think the key point that I'm getting out of it is that we expect Jehovah to bless us. You're releasing the debt. You're following yes. the Torah. Yes. So the blessing, because at, further than what we read right here, yes. it says make sure that you do this because he will bless you. Yes. So it's not so much that, oh, you know, Jerry, you didn't pay me back. I guess I got to get this money elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, I, I just expect by following this command that, yes. you know, Mm -hmm. I'll be blessed. Yep. And I've, I don't know how you are, but I've had to kind of learn this as I've grown up and, and gone through situations, you know, similar to this. Um, and whenever I loan money to a brother, I consider it to myself gone, you know. And if I get it back, great. But if I don't, I, I refuse to make a big deal about it because it's just, uh, just money. And, and God makes it real clear how we're supposed to view that. Now, he also draws a big distinction between that and non-family members, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, but it's people's core. It's, John? Well, this is the benefit of being part of the Torah-gated community. Yep. You know, you, there, there's blessings for being that. If you're not going to be part of that, then you don't get those blessings. That's the way it is. Yep. Membership has its dues. This is, uh, I, like, I like talking about this with you guys. A lot of fun because, you know, we work it through. I don't know how it's all going to work out or how it did work out. But I know that God, let's see, it's nothing short of miraculous that this kind of uh, detail and this kind of discussion can be generated off of something that's been translated from, you know, three or four different languages 3,500 years ago. This has got to be cool. That simple. <laughs> um, any other comments before we close? I'll pray. Father God, thank you for the evening. Thank you for the discussion. Thank you for the detail that you go into. Thank you for the things it helps us to think about. Uh, just help us to figure out how you want us to navigate through life, the things you have for us to do, and help us to think of, come to think of each other as family. And teach us how to uh, how to live by your Torah. And bless us till we meet together next week. In Yeshua's name, Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you very much.